We speak in the name of God, source of all being, the eternal word and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. The period of Lent is associated with repentance. And it's stated very obviously for us in the Ash Wednesday liturgy when we say to the congregation, turn away from sin and believe the good news. And during our last week's discussions in our Lent course, we looked specifically at the notion of collective repentance. Now, proponents and uh, activists of social justice is seemingly in a constant opposition and struggle against society and the establishment to change, to recognize trends and the consequences of decisions, with the purpose for them to change and ultimately to become more ethical, alleviating the plight of especially the innocent and the poor, and those two are often the same group. When President Ramaphosa asked the United Nations for poorer nations' debt to be relieved or even cancelled, I thought that truly is a request for more ethical accountability. But accountability has to go both ways. Otherwise, the power dynamics are out of balance and you're in danger of simply being a hypocrite. Because what you ask for, you have to implement yourself. And you have to choose... In fact, you could always be in opposition. Uh, You can change parties, as it were, simply for the sake of being in opposition or remaining a resistance movement. But when you're governing, the rhetoric has to change, for the stakes become so much higher. And the church has wrestled with this. Once persecuted, as in the times of the New Testament, the church became the persecutor itself once it gained governing power. And at the Treaty of Westphalia, as, uh, as late as the 17th century, the church deliberately chose to separate from the state. The church then took the role of the weak and the proverbially poor in order to purport a pure prophetic message of justice, and that being intrinsically self-regulatory. When Pope Francis made that statement that we need a poor church, it was done in this historical context. The church, as it were, is at its core a resistance movement and associates easily with social activism, uh, as we've seen in the times that this parish uh, was a strong uh, voice in the struggle against apartheid. And perhaps even now, the church leans towards even perhaps that which is woke. But then again, if that is the path that we choose, we have to face up to being inherently being persecuted by the state in places like Iran or North Korea, but also by culture. And the account of the Samaritan woman at the well demonstrates that her access to Jesus the source of emancipation for, for multiple people in that generation was barricaded by her own cultural narratives. And it's a common phenomenon that religious adherence is indeed cultural. And this is a double-edged sword. 
It means that people have greater access, for example, to Christianity, for those who were born in a certain society or country and are offered comparative advantages and relative freedoms uh, than elsewhere. But cultural religious affiliation also encourages people towards a superficial adherence that can easily be swayed towards nationalism. And I always ask the confirmation candidates when we do our courses, why are you a Christian as opposed to a Muslim or a Buddhist or an atheist? And you have to think this through for yourself. And that's the point of confirmation. You have to provide a reason for your own sake and sometimes even a defense when asked, why do you believe? And Jesus in John chapter 4 as the proto-activist, does something exemplary that all proponents of social justice should adopt. And that being self-aware, he breaks the cultural customs of his own people in order to empower a woman that is structurally at a disadvantage, but in fact also personally victimized as is evidence to the, to the fact that she has to go fetch water on her own without any help of the community in the heat of the day. She is deliberately avoiding people out of shame or perhaps even anger. And having had five husbands, it raises suspicion within the community, and perhaps rightly so, as it would even today. But Jesus is curious. He's not immediately biased towards this reality. And he's not judgmental. And this is the perfect mechanism of social justice. To assume a humble, thirsty, pragmatic posture. And in turn, he is interrogated by the woman. And in this mutual, unpretentious, frank exchange, where seemingly you've got nothing to lose, because of the animosity that is already very much present, he offers her access to holistic salvation, that which is spiritual and psychological for that mere interaction, but not so avoiding the issue of social persecution. And so what he does is that he deconstructs the very establishment that makes, up, that makes up his own cultural and religious identity by saying that the temple is losing its value. And this is a hugely significant position that he adopts. And a compromise, as it were, for the sake of inclusivity. By making this statement, he is himself now making himself susceptible to persecution of becoming an outcast like that woman, as these statements are borderline blasphemous. But in the preceding chapter, we already see he is driving out the money changes in the temple. And so you don't make these statements on a whim because you just want a sip of water. This is a significant statement. But his prophetic curiosity enables him to perceive the truth and to bear the socio-political consequences of those deep convictions that he holds and action. The climax of his social justice 
is to move beyond cultural adherence to real, eternalized convictions of a spiritual nature. Because if you perceive what's happening spiritually, you will pursue the truth, a reality that reveals everything that seeks to be hidden. But to be spiritual is often to be kind of weird. And this puts you at odds with the social customs of controls in our society. But enduring that will produce character, as the Apostle Paul says to the Romans. A personal integrity that is birthed out of this sense of conviction of what you believe and know is the truth, and to see it through. But the greatest act of social justice in that moment is revealed in Jesus' interaction with this woman that she, as an outsider, and as a woman, is the first to be told that Jesus is the Messiah. Up to that point, Jesus hasn't even revealed that to his own disciples. But here he tells it to a Samaritan woman. And this is a normative model, I believe, for what Jesus is offering through the church. The social justice that he wants to establish in this world is revealing spiritual realities and the posture of humility and in conviction that is so fundamental to our identity and identity that can change the course of history. This is a hugely significant moment in this exchange that Jesus is changing theology. And so if Christ in the church is offering a social justice to the world, he's in fact offering a whole new imaginary to who we are and what the world can be. And in offering that, it goes beyond what we can conceive and the limitations that we construct ourselves because of shame that we hold and what we feel we are unable to do because of historic limitations society and ourselves puts on us. And in that offering of justice to us, we experience mercy and the justice knowing that some of these things have been placed on us without even asking for them. It does require, though, that when we experience this, that we become aware when the institution of our worship is changing. And we have to discern whether it is cultural changes happening in and around us, pressures or persecutions, or in in fact if this is a new reality and form of justice in God's economy at work in the world. We have to ask, is our established forms of worship divinely changing, but we are reluctant to recognize God's work? because we are culturally too invested and too comfortable with the way things are. And as a result, we become numb to the plight of the desperate, who are desperate to have access to freedom and to God. Is the church losing relevance because of it being persecuted? 
Or as it were, are we failing to our true calling and to reach out to a world that is desperate for salvation? A world that is grabbing at the vaguest offer of relief through all sorts of interesting spiritualities that's not always sustainable. The Lenten call goes out to worship God in spirit and in truth. And in that transformative posture, we become more socially just, more prophetic, and more honest with ourselves. Amen.